Welcome to the podcast of the Consortium for History of Science, Technology, and Medicine. I'm Bob Akish Rafi. Today is September 3rd, 2021, and I'm speaking with Tizel Muir Harmony, who is a curator at the Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum and is the author of Operation Moonglow, a political history of Project Apollo. Thank you for joining us, Tizel. Thank you so much for inviting me. Tizel, we often think of the space race as starting with the Soviet launch of Sputnik and being an existential race for dominance in multiple domains between the Soviet Union and the United States. Did everyone think like that at the time? Were there alternative ways to view what was happening? There were alternative ways to view what was happening and the significance of Sputnik, the meaning of Sputnik, and then also what was going to come next, um, whether or not there'd be a race or something else. And it's a, it's a fascinating history. There are a lot of people who had their hand in trying to influence how people thought of Sputnik. And um, two great examples are, are Eisenhower and Lyndon Johnson. And so the Eisenhower administration saw great value in suggesting that Sputnik didn't have very significant military or scientific implications. They tried to sort of soothe uh, the nation and, and say that, you know, the United States um, had robust national security, that the United States' his own space program was doing well and wasn't really behind the Soviet Union. But at the, at the same time, Lyndon Johnson saw great value in suggesting that Sputnik was a sign that the U.S. was behind. And he amplified fears. He called Sputnik a Pearl Harbor. He compared it to the Alamo. Um, and he saw the advantage of promoting this idea about Sputnik for his own political career and then also for the Democratic Party. So he had his eyes set on the, uh, the presidential election in 1960. He was also concerned about the, the election in, in 1958 and getting more Democrats elected. And this was a time when the Democratic Party was concerned about the, the impact of civil rights on the Democratic Party. It was sort of tearing the party apart at that time. And so he saw space exploration and Sputnik and the threat of, of Sputnik as a great way to critique the Republican Party and um, to sort of distract or draw attention away from the issue of civil rights. And there's a great quote from an aide in Washington, D.C. at the time that, that says, no sooner did you know, Sputnik launch and you could hear the beep beep from Sputnik that politicians leap forward like heavy drinkers hearing a cork pop. So it really gives you a sense that they saw this as an opportunity and a political opportunity. And so the way that Sputnik was viewed at the time and even how we remember it today is really tied to the important role that people like Lyndon Johnson played in playing up the meaning of Sputnik and what it meant for the U.S.'s position in the world. Um, the need to enter a space race, um, that this was a competition that the United States had to prove scientific and technological capability within this arena, um, that it really mattered. It's an interesting case because it, it really ties domestic and international politics together, where it's an example of how those, um, how domestic and international politics were really intertwined at that time. Now, Kennedy was elected in 1960 as president and Johnson was, was his vice president. And then some things happened. Uh, you write that when the Soviet Union sent Yuri Gagarin into space, and there was the fiasco of the Bay of Pigs invasion and the associated loss of prestige with those two events, those two events laid the groundwork for Project Apollo. So should we think of Project Apollo as a project that had lots of scientific and commercial and military aims, but then also ended up having a significant impact on national prestige or was it the other way around? I would say it's the other way around. So 
Project Apollo, this goal of, of sending humans to the moon before the end of the decade, that was primarily a foreign relations response to the impact of Gagarin's flight and the Bay of Pigs on U.S. national prestige. And all these other elements um, or impacts of Project Apollo sort of came after that. But the primary purpose of it was as a foreign relations response within this very particular moment in history. And one thing that's somewhat revealing, I think a good way to describe it is Kennedy's science advisor, when they were evaluating what should be the next American space program. Now, this was during the, the transition to the Kennedy presidency. So this was before um, those those events took place, before they decided on Apollo. And and actually, he was advising against something like sending humans to the moon at the time. This was Jerome Wiesner. And he said that it's it's a political issue. It's not a technical issue. And it's not it's not a issue of scientific versus non-scientific issues. It's really um, an issue of the use of technological means for political ends. And that that is actually ultimately the way that Apollo was viewed um, when it was proposed in May of 1961. So it was technological means for a political end. There are a lot of different important legacies of the Apollo program. Um, there's important contributions to our, to science, our understanding of the evolution of the solar system. There are other important elements, but what motivated Kennedy, why Kennedy decided to invest in sending humans to the moon, it was technological means for political ends. Can you describe some of the mechanisms that the U.S. put in place to convert these technological achievements into national prestige? Sure. And I'll I'll just rewind a second and, and talk about when Kennedy proposed Project Apollo, he had what sounded like a very clear goal. So send humans to the moon before the end of the decade and return them safely back to Earth. Um, and within his proposal, he talked about why the United States should do this. And he talked about the potential impact that it had on the minds of men everywhere who are attempting to make a determination of which road they should take. And when he was asking his advisors, you know, find me a program that promises dramatic results that we can win. He was really motivated by the potential of space exploration to impact people around the world and to influence the societies and politics of newly independent nations. Um, this is at a time when there's the post-colonial movement and the establishment of, of new nations around the world. And he saw space exploration as a really critical tool to, to influence um, people in those other countries and, and potentially encourage them to not only align with the United States, but also potentially to, to impact the very structure of their society. So he had high, had high ambitions for this. And so part of the larger Apollo project wasn't just the technical challenge of sending humans to the moon. It was also um, using spaceflight to impact the minds of men and women around the world. Um, and this required this global public relations campaign that was undertaken by the U.S. Information Agency and the State Department. And it was it was extraordinary in scale. And so the U.S. Information Agency, for those of you who are not familiar with it, this was an agency established in 1953 by the Eisenhower administration with the goal of sharing the message of America with the world. But it was, it was to remote the United States abroad within the midst of the, the Cold War and they had libraries around the world. They, they hosted events. They showed films. They had exhibits. It was really, uh, they had radio programs, all sorts of things. And when it came to the space program, they, they promoted the space program extremely heavily abroad. And so there, there are many examples of 
you know, exhibits and films and radio broadcasts, and they would cover the missions. And they even coordinated to have um, local journalists travel to the United States to learn about the space program so they could return to their respective countries and, and be the voice of American spaceflight in, in those respective countries. And so throughout the 1960s, they cultivated an interest in spaceflight. They educated people about the American space program and then would, in various instances, use the popularity of spaceflight to, to sell el other elements of America abroad, so um, to promote the United States um, in a number of different contexts. So uh, it was a really extremely elaborate, extensive endeavor that, that really circled the globe. Um, at one point, they started sending astronauts on diplomatic tours. They'd meet with scientists, they'd give lectures, they'd participate in big public events, uh, motorcade parades, all sorts of things like that. So throughout the 1960s, uh, an important element of the American space program was its promotion abroad. And these reached an amazing peak. The scale of some of the things you describe are, are really exceptional around the moon landing and Apollo 11. Can you describe some of, some of the events that happened around the moon landing and Apollo 11? The United States, or people who work for the U.S. government, recognize that Apollo 11 might be the biggest event of the century or the decade, or it offered an opportunity that was unprecedented to promote the United States abroad. And so they took full advantage of it and no expense was too much. I mean, it was an extremely elaborate undertaking. So it involved both the promotion of the, the program, like I had said before, but it also involved building up a communications infrastructure so people around the world could follow the flight live. Um, this was the first truly live global television broadcast, and, and that was part of those efforts. They also had radio programming in, in many languages um, and um, helped set up ground stations in countries that didn't have access to the satellite feed so that they could watch that television coverage live. And then it also involved um, things like the uh, establishment of a symbolic activities committee. And so this was a committee that was established to ensure that the astronauts' activities on the moon would be inclusive, would would suggest that this was a mission for all humankind, that it wasn't just an American mission. And they, they discussed in, in depth what types of activities should be done, whether or not they should invite poets from around the world to compose special poetry and leave that on the moon. Or um, there's a decision to bring up miniature flags from all the countries around the world and then bring them back as diplomatic gifts. Uh, U.S. government invited foreign leaders to, to compose messages, and those were brought up to the moon and left on a silicon disk. So there were a number of different sort of gestures that the astronauts undertook to ensure that the, the messaging was that this was a program for all humankind. And there was also a lot of work done at the U.S. Information Agency and State Department about how to frame the moon landing. The foreign affairs officers working for the U.S. government uh, were given instructions about how to talk about the moon landing. To, to downplay that it was American was an important part of this and to um, emphasize this was something for for um, all humankind. And, and part of the reason that they did that is that over the years, over the 1960s, through all this programming, the U.S. was doing a lot of public opinion polls and observations of international audiences and recognized that uh, by, by framing the moon landing and space exploration as something for humanity, um, as opposed to an American endeavor, that it had greater political impact. And so the United States could reap more political rewards from that type of framing than the suggestion that this was a demonstration of American strength and technological expertise. And so a fair amount of work went into fine-tuning the messaging, the framing of the moon landing. 
Now, you describe in your book how American diplomats and presidents as well went on international tours, and these followed in the wake of tours in which astronauts or space capsules were sent around the world. Could you tell us what Richard Nixon, for example, was trying to accomplish in his tour around the world in the wake of the Apollo astronauts tour? Nixon observed the popularity of space exploration. He was really excited by it. He perhaps was less interested in spaceflight just as an enthusiast, but but saw that it had potential impact on the way the United States was viewed abroad and, and perhaps also to help him advance his new foreign relations agenda. So he became president um, shortly before the first moon landing and um, decided to use the moon landing as an opportunity to introduce the Nixon Doctrine, to go on this tour of Southeast Asia. Um, he named it Operation Moonglow. And what he ended up doing is he um, flew to meet the astronauts when they returned from the moon at Splashdown in, in the Pacific Ocean. And directly from there, he flew to Guam and then he toured Southeast Asia on this Operation Moonglow tour. And he thought that it would be a good way to talk about how the United States' involvement in, in Vietnam was going to change and evolve. He thought it would be a good opportunity to have some secret meetings and, and try to get the message to China that the United States was was interested in normalizing relations. Um, and then also as a way to have secret meetings uh, to start advancing peace talks with North Vietnam. And there's a, it's a long story. <laughs> there's more involved there. But, but ultimately, uh, with this Operation Moonglow tour, Nixon saw an opportunity to use the popularity of spaceflight to couch some more difficult themes about U.S. foreign relations to make sure that he was received more warmly in um, uh, the places he traveled. Um, and so he saw uh, the opportunities there um, when it came to the popularity of spaceflight and how it might serve his other interests at the time. The story you tell occurred about 50 years ago. Are there still contemporary resonances when we think about spaceflight and think about the American role in space exploration of the Apollo experience? I would say there are at least two important relevances of the Apollo experience um, to the contemporary moment. And, and one of them is the important role that science and technology can play in foreign relations in terms of soft power or the cultural role of science and technology and the ways that it can engage with uh, the international public and advance a nation's interests. The Apollo program was motivated by this interest in containing communism, this Cold War idea that the Soviet Union was an expansionist threat. And uh, the U.S. invested a great deal in this program, $25 billion at the time. And a lot of times it's critiqued for that, that expense. But um, if it's put in the context of foreign relations programs in general, for instance, the U.S. Uh, involvement in the Vietnam War, it was relatively cost effective. The cost of the entire Apollo program was equivalent to um, one year in Vietnam by the end of the Vietnam War. So um, when you think of it in terms of foreign relations programs, and when you think of it in terms of the lasting impact Apollo has had on perceptions of the United States and um, how it advanced U.S. foreign relations interests at that moment in time in the, in the late 1960s and early 1970s, um, I think it really speaks to the potential of, of scientific and technological programs um, as forms of soft power. Um, and then there's also a, another way to look at it in, in its relationship to contemporary spaceflight. And I, and I think that Apollo has been a really hard act to follow um, it was extraordinarily expensive. It's it's hard to uh, maintain a space program that's 
over 4% of the federal budget. Um, and so I think that, that it raised a lot of expectations about what was in the near future, what was coming for spaceflight. Um, there was a lot of hope that Mars would be next and a lot of discussions about what the United States was doing in space. There's an idea that we should be doing more and more. Um, and a lot of that is the, the legacy of Apollo. Um, I will say it also inspired a lot of people and private investment in spaceflight today. People involved in that were inspired by Apollo as children and became enthusiastic about spaceflight because of uh, following those missions either at the time or, or later on and, and uh, being excited about what was possible. Um, so Apollo's legacy is, is multifaceted, and I think it speaks to a number of different things, both in terms of the potential of science and technology and foreign relations, but then also um, how we think about spaceflight today um, and how it's evolved over time as well. The book is Operation Moonglow, a political history of Project Apollo out from Basic Books. Thank you, Teasel, for sharing your work and your perspectives with us. Thank you so much for inviting me. This has been a podcast from the Consortium for History of Science, Technology, and Medicine. You can find more resources for exploring this topic, other podcasts, video lectures, archival spotlights, as well as opportunities to connect with our community of scholars at chstm.org. This podcast is made possible with the generous support of the Pew Charitable Trusts, the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation, and the Rita Allen Foundation.